I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Each week, we're bringing you real conversations about finding hope beyond suffering in ways you can include people with special needs in your church and community. To learn more about the podcast or to share your comments, please visit johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. This week, I'm continuing my conversation with Vanitha Reisner, a special guest who has experienced the powerful presence of God through a lifetime of suffering. If you missed last week's conversation with Vanitha, I recommend downloading part one now to hear her share of God's faithfulness through a debilitating disease, multiple miscarriages, the death of her son, abandonment, and an unwanted divorce. In our conversation today, Vanitha shares honestly about the newer challenges she faces of living with a progressive disease, the transition from being the helper to being helped, and her sage advice for those going through unrelenting hardships. Through the many valleys she has gone through, Vanitha could have given up. But in the midst of her suffering, she discovered the goodness of God and His divine purposes. Listen now to hear more of her powerful story and book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. Well, you know, one of the ways that your story really resonated with me was the way that you processed through unanswered prayers. And I mean, I can definitely relate to crying out to God in full faith for various reasons through the years and getting a no, not even getting a verbal no, but you know, just circumstantially, the answer was no. So I'd love if you could share more about the significant points in your life where God didn't answer you in the way that you had hoped and prayed and kind of how you moved through that. I mean, I've heard this phrase be used in Christian circles based on, I think it's Psalm 37, 4, that if God gives you the desires of your heart, He's going to fulfill it. Uh And uh, I heard that early on, and I think I believed it. And now I think, okay, He may not fulfill those desires in this life. And that's kind of how I made sense of it. How have you made sense of the reality of unanswered prayers? Yeah, well, I would say that I have made sense of it by seeing what God gives us when He says no. Mm. I think he gives us so much more than in some ways than when he says yes. And I think one of the biggest no's I had, well, one of the biggest no's obviously was when our son died and I remember begging God to save him. And yet he died that very night. Um, Also, I was uh, married for 18 years and my husband came home and told me he was leaving for someone else. And that, rocked my world. I could not believe that happened. And I had two daughters, ages 10 and 13 at the time, and I just couldn't believe this would happen to a Christian family. Mm -hmm. And I remember begging God to put our marriage back together, and I wanted my husband to come back, to want me back, to just have things back the way they were, or even I wanted them better than the way they were, and that didn't happen. And I remember just saying, God, how can you let all of these things happen to me? Mm-hmm. And you'd think after all the suffering that I've had that I wouldn't be asking God why, but I still do that. And yet God answered in this beautiful way and just I feel like showed me really clearly that he was giving me sort of the better gift. And that was himself. And 
I feel like I would get up in the morning and open the Bible and God would be right there in a way that he had not ever been continuously with me before. And I knew he was, God is always with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So when I say we have God's presence, it's not that we don't, but there is this beauty of sensing God's presence that really carries us through our days. And I feel like God gave me that sense through the word, just even going about my everyday life that was extraordinary. And I found, um, and I've written about this in that book, about the difference between delivering grace and sustaining grace. Mm -hmm. And delivering grace, deliverance is the thing that we all want. You know, the massive miracles, the parting of the Red Sea. Those are the things that people look back on and say, oh my gosh, look what God did. And I love those too, those moments where you see God answer prayers in shocking, jaw-dropping ways. But then there's the manna, the everyday provision of God that we often take for granted, but that's sustaining grace, that's sustenance. But the beautiful thing about sustaining grace is we need to go back to God for that every day, Mm -hmm. just like manna. Mm -hmm. We don't have it ourselves. We have to ask for it. And the beauty of the Christian life is really the going back to God every day and being Mm -hmm. with Him. And so that's what sustaining grace does. And I found that's a better gift than delivering grace. Because delivering grace, we go on, and then there's the next thing in our life that we want God to change. It's not that we want this one miracle, and then we think, oh, we don't want anything else in our lives, or at least I don't. I want a million things all the time. And it's great that God answers those, but there's always more. Whenever He asks, I ask Him for something, and He gives it to me, which is an amazing gift that He does answer our prayers. But then I have more things I want. Whereas with the things that He answers no or wait, and I have to keep going back to Him every day, those are really the things that draw me to God Mm -hmm. because I need Him. And so I've found that the sustenance from God, the, the sustaining grace that He gives us, is actually a greater gift. And those are the things that really drive us to that deepening of the relationship with Him. Yes. And yeah, that's when the Scriptures come alive and I think you can start seeing yourself in so many people in Scripture, the men and women of faith who continued to go through the peaks and the valleys, but God was always there, the sustaining grace. Well, because we're here at Johnny and Friends, we hear from so many people with disabilities that are writing in and saying, you know, I'm part of a community that believes that I should be healed and that I'm not praying enough. And I think what you said will um, just be a balm on their soul. Because I think it's a painful experience when you're praying in full faith and you're not seeing God answer the way that you would like Him to. I think you can feel excluded from that walk with the Lord and also disconnected from the church and the body of Christ. You know, you did talk about going through a divorce with your husband, and that is extremely painful. I think there's a sense of like, who am I now as a single person? And because we're talking from Johnny and Friends, I just know that there's people with disabilities that have a sense of, I wonder if I'll ever be loved. I wonder because of my disability, if I'm going to be desirable. As you thought about your divorce and maybe even looking at another relationship, 
Did you ever feel like that might impact the next relationship that you would be in or a marriage? Yes, uh, that was a huge, um, I think one of the biggest struggles for me. One, when somebody leaves for someone else, you automatically think I'm not enough. Right. You know, and I think we all go to probably the things that we're most insecure about. And for me, it was a disability. You know, my disability is too much. I'm too much of a burden, all of those things that we tell ourselves. And so that really made me even more insecure to look for another relationship. And for a while, I didn't want to. And then my daughter said to me, mom, you need to, you know, think about dating again. And I said, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. And I talked to her for a while and she said, you loved being married. I think you should consider that. And I prayed a lot about it. And then I actually met my husband on an online dating site. And that was terrifying because I was so afraid of, do I tell people about my disability? And then are are they going to define me by my disability? But I don't want to trick them and not tell them. And so those issues were very hard for me because Mm. I didn't, I didn't want the person to feel that they didn't know that Mm -hmm. after we had gotten into quite a bit of a long distance kind of relationship. But at the same time, I didn't want people to be put off by that and think that's all that she is. And so that was a really tricky thing for me. And I remember when I, I usually, I talked to my pastor about it and he said, you know, I think the third conversation that you have with someone where you think maybe this is going to go somewhere versus just getting to know each other, Mm -hmm. I think you need to tell them. And there were several people that basically were gone after that. And that was just brought back all of these memories of this is who you are, this you're not good enough. And yet it was so neat when I met Joel and told him and he said, that's not a thing for me. Like you are who you are and that's who I love and that's who Mm. I want to get to know. And so it showed me that a disability doesn't mean that you can't have a meaningful relationship with a wonderful person. And when I had met Dave, my first husband, I didn't have post-polio. So I had a limp and I was weak, but I wasn't as disabled as I was when Mm. I met Joel. Mm. So I started to feel like, can I put this on somebody? Can I marry somebody that has to take care of me? And that's a hard thing to ask of somebody because you have to really think long and hard about how it's going to change their life. And yet Joel was amazing. His late wife died of cancer and he cared for her Mm. amazingly. And so that was part of it. He said, I know what that's like. And who she was never changed Mm. and who you are won't change. Mm. So he was willing to do that. And he's amazing. And the neat thing, I think, and this sounds crazy, but I feel like in the whole world of dating, having a disability can be an advantage because I know a lot of people that were dating that said they met a lot of very shallow, superficial people Mm. that were only interested in a good time. And when you have a disability, you don't end up going out with those people. You go out with people with real character. And so that's something that I didn't realize until I had friends that were dating people that were real jerks. And I didn't have to deal with that as much Mm. because... Not that many jerks are willing to go out with somebody with a handicap that they know they're going to have to care for them. That's a lot of hope for those who are listening who 
have those same fears, that God's going to use it to really show you who are the people that have great love in their hearts and are willing to step into a difficult situation because of you, because Joel loved you. You know, that reminds me of a conversation we had early on when we just started the podcast. We sat down with a couple, Kevin and Jamie, and Kevin is a quadriplegic. And she said something very similar. She said, disability is an advantage because it means that we have to be very close. We're reliant on one another and we have to keep short accounts. We have to communicate a lot. We have to work together as a team and we can't go very long at being mad at each other, you know, because we rely on each other. So there's this deepened sense of intimacy when disability is involved I think that's such a different perspective than what the world can show. So I really appreciate you saying that. Joel and I can't go to bed mad at each other because we both need each other. I mean, I need him in major ways. And so it's, it has been really good because we do talk about things. Whereas I think if you don't depend on someone, then you can go days kind of cold shoulder, but we interact all the time, every hour he works from home. And so he does everything for me. And so there is that need to communicate, which I think has been really, really good for our marriage. Yes. Well, you alluded to it a little bit. You talked about being diagnosed with post-polio. Can you talk more about that? I mean, I did not realize that post-polio is degenerative in nature, that you only have a set amount of energy to use. How has this changed your life for you once you received this diagnosis? It radically changed my life. I was 38 when I was diagnosed and I had just been going somewhere, buckled in my seatbelt, and I got this searing pain in my arm, like mind-blowing pain. I didn't know what was wrong. I couldn't use my arm. I couldn't eat. And it went on for weeks, which turned into months. I was seeing all kinds of doctors. They had no idea what it was. So then I went to this clinic in Boston, and they diagnosed me with post-polio syndrome. I'd heard of it, but I didn't even know what it was. And what it means is that People who've had polio, their motor neurons die when you get polio. And so you go to, like, I was a quadriplegic. A lot of people are paraplegics or whatever, an arm or a leg is impacted. But then after that, their body sprouts up what they call secondary motor neurons. And these secondary motor neurons make it seem like they there's a lot of progress. So, like, I walk and I do all kinds of things. I've had a lot of surgeries, but a lot of it has been through exercise. My muscles have come back. And so, mm-hmm. people thought that was just what happened. Mm-hmm. But they realized that these secondary motor neurons have a limited life. And unlike regular motor neurons, the more you exercise, the stronger you get. With these secondary motor neurons, there's just a certain amount of energy. And so whether you exercise or do anything, it takes away from the money you have in the bank, they said. And so everything you do makes withdrawals. And so 30 to 40 years after the initial diagnosis of polio, people start going backwards. Mm. And eventually you could go back to the way you were when you first got polio. So I think for some people, if their arm or leg was just impacted with polio, they don't notice it as much. But they said, for me, I will notice it a lot because I will eventually be in a wheelchair full time and I will not be able to care for myself. Mm. And that 
was a shocking development for me. I had been an artist when I was younger. I used to go to the gym and exercise because I thought I want to get as strong as I can get. And my life was about serving. I love to serve people. So I would take meals when anybody in our church needed a meal taken. I just, that was sort of my identity was helping people. And so that really changed who I thought I was at first. Mm. I remember coming home and just sobbing, thinking, I'm going to ask for meals. I'm not going to take mm. meals. And the the difference in that is monumental in terms of who you think you are. Yeah. I never wanted to need. I wanted to be needed. And now I was faced with the fact that I was going to be the one who needed. And that made me pretty depressed at first. Mm -hmm. But the neat thing was through that, I just felt that God said, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to do this with you every day. It was hard though at first. Like I fought a wheelchair very hard. They wanted me to start using a wheelchair and doing all kinds of things to conserve my energy. And I really didn't want to be labeled as somebody with a handicap. Mm. And even though I had a handicap, it just felt like being in a wheelchair and asking for help was going to be just another loss. Mm-hmm. And it was God who really helped me see that that was in my eyes, but not in other people's eyes. Mm, That's true. So how did you make that transition from being the helper, the one who serves, to to being helped? I mean, one of the things I've noticed about Johnny, and we've talked about this before, and I've said, because you are dependent upon help, you have so many relationships. Do you think you'd have this many relationships if you weren't a quadriplegic? I mean, I think of that interesting kind of dynamic of, okay, here you are. You've been the one that brings the meals that you're serving and helping. What what helped you make that transition well? Yeah, I think having friends who came around me and wanted to help really made it a lot easier and it made me realize how much we need other people Mm -hmm. and community and it also I realized how much people want to help I always thought it was a burden like I don't want to call I don't want to ask but I can't tell you how many times people say thank you for calling thank you for asking we wanted to help but we didn't know what to do and we didn't want to keep bothering you Mm -hmm. and when I was able to say I need help that really opened the door for people to really be in our home a lot more and want to do things for me more. And one of the practical things I've done is even just with friends, having a group text with some friends that have all said, oh, we'd be willing to help just to say, hey, would somebody be able to do this for me today? And so it's a really easy way for then somebody usually has the time and that can help and they can do that. And I think they really appreciate doing that. Mm -hmm. So that has been really good. And another thing for me is realizing that God has changed my ministry. So before I was diagnosed with post-polio, I would say my days were spent, my taught women's Bible study, but I scrapbooked and painted and hung out with my friends. That was most of my life, took care of my kids. And yet after the diagnosis, they said no more crafts, no more scrapbooking, no more painting, no more making meals. And so my life radically changed and I started writing using voice-activated software, first of all, is just a way to process my pain. Mm -hmm. And so I would just get on the computer and start 
talking into it and just writing how I was feeling. And a few people suggested that I start writing. And that was not something I'd ever done before. Never had any interest in doing it. But I decided to do it just as sort of a step of faith. And God really has used that. And so what I thought was going to end my ministry because I wasn't able to take meals for people or run errands for people or do the things that I thought I was valuable for, Mm -hmm. I realized God had other things he wanted me to do. And I would never have started writing if it wasn't for finding out that I couldn't use my hands for other things. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think of the platform now that you have in speaking into the lives of people who suffer because of the book you wrote. That's a huge help. It's you're reaching thousands of people to share how God has been so faithful to you and how he's trustworthy and that he cares. I think that's a beautiful thing, but it's certainly difficult. You know, I have a friend, she actually works here at Johnny and Friends and she has a progressive disease as well. And one of the things that she anticipates is, you know, not being able to be as busy. I'm not going to be able to type. She gets so much fulfillment from being efficient, you know? (laughs) And, And I even think about people with MS or ALS, and I think they're dealing with a lot of fears of the future. What kind of encouragement would you speak to them just from some of the things you just experienced and said? Just spiritually. Yeah, I think I would say God is going to walk through this with you. Mm -hmm. And even if the worst happens, God will never leave you. Mm -hmm. And I think I had to battle that myself with these questions of what if, what if, what if I never remarry? What if my hands fail? What if all of these awful things? And I remember early in my life, though, I remember thinking, what if my child dies? What if my husband leaves? Mm -hmm. And those things happened. Mm And yet I found that even though my nightmares happened, God was there. And so because of that, all my other what-ifs are, what if all these things happen, God is going to be there. And you see that in Habakkuk when he says, you know, even if, even if there's no fruit on the vines and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in God. And I think that's the message, what it's been for me is, even if I can't do these things, and even if I'm a complete quadriplegic and somebody is feeding me and doing everything for me, I will have God. Mm. And that will never be taken away. Whereas Mm. good circumstances can always be taken away. I mean, there's nothing in our lives that couldn't with one phone call be gone. And that's a very frightening thing in some ways because nothing feels safe. Right. But that's a very comforting thing knowing the one thing that's safe that nobody can ever take away is the only thing that really counts. Mm -hmm. And that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Nobody can take him away from us. Nobody can keep our hope that's laid up in heaven from us. And so that says, no matter what happens, we won't lose that. And that's what we take to heaven. So we're okay. And I think going to the end game of that is what really has given me a lot more peace in my life. Mm -hmm. And I have a a very good friend who has ALS and just Mm -hmm. realizing that for her as her body is weakening, um, that yeah, things are going to get harder in this life. And yet the things that count are going to get easier because you'll know what it's like to trust God Mm. and you'll love God and you won't be able to, you can't wait to see him because you've depended on him so much more now than you did before. Mm. That's so good. 
I think Johnny always says that those who depend on the Lord, those who lean upon Him, find Him stronger and stronger. The harder they lean, the stronger they find Him to be. Yeah, And I think that is so true. Well, as we close our time together, Vanitha, can you share just some practical, sage advice for those who are facing unrelenting struggles and really want to walk closely with the Lord? Um, one of the things that God keeps showing me is that the best gift that God can give us is His presence, mm-hmm. just a sense that He is with us. And those are the times that I've really been changed. And those are the times I've had the most joy is knowing that God is with me and feeling Him with me. And those happen when I'm suffering. I do not appreciate the presence of God when my life is going well, like I do Mm. when my life is hard. And that's an incredible gift. Because when I look back on the high points of my life, they often are the lowest points. Like when I mentioned being in the car after Paul died and feeling so depressed. And yet today I would still say that was probably the most joyful moment of my life was just realizing that Jesus was with me. And after my ex-husband left, feeling so depressed and calling out to God, why do you hate me? And yet in that moment, having God saying, I don't hate you, I love you, just reading the word and finding him sufficient Those have been the high points of my life, and they often correspond to the times I've felt the most desperate. Mm. But those are the times that God has really changed me and Mm. done deep work in me. And so for those people who are suffering, it may feel like the people whose lives are perfect, that they have done the right thing and the people who are suffering have done the wrong thing. And yet I really do feel like suffering is a gift, that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to say thank you We had no idea what you were doing for us, through us, in us, through suffering. And that really is the better gift than a life of ease, because a life of ease ultimately doesn't do that much. But I think when I I look at Johnny and her life of praising God through suffering speaks volumes to people, whereas people who praise God through an easy life. I mean, certainly praising God at any moment in anybody's life is a wonderful thing, mm-hmm. but I think people really take notice. It brings people to Christ when you can say God is sufficient and God is good mm-hmm. in the midst of the darkest times. Mm-hmm. So you're, you have a bigger platform. C.S. Lewis talks about pain being a megaphone to a hurting world, mm-hmm. and I think it really is a megaphone people hear us. And that's a huge privilege. I just think of, you know, all the promises that if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And in His presence is the fullness of joy and that He is near to the brokenhearted. And that has certainly been true in your life. Vanitha, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your honesty. And uh, may God bless you as you continue to be a megaphone to how great God has been in your life through suffering. God bless you. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. What a powerful conversation about finding God's grace in the midst of unrelenting struggle. I'm so thankful for Vanitha's willingness to share her story of finding God's presence and His grace and the value of community for anyone who is suffering. After her diagnosis of post-polio and her changing role from helper to the person in need of help, 
she offered some excellent advice for how to reach out to someone in need. If you've been encouraged by Vanitha's story, please go to johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast to find a link to her blog and a copy of her inspiring book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, and pass it on to a friend. Thank you for listening and rating this podcast on your favorite app. I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast.